0: Welcome to episode number nine of the God Learners podcast, a podcast about
1: reading and gaming in the world of Gloranth. My name is Jörg. And I'm Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. And today we have a returning guest, which means we didn't suck too much last time. We have the excellent David Scott. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, Thank you a lot for coming back. You're welcome. We are going to talk about old, old stuff today. But before that, uh, let's talk a bit about some news that happened since last time. I don't think we mentioned it last time. I put out my first Johnston Compendium adventure, which was quite an adventure in itself. Uh, it's called A Short Detour, and it deals with some hopefully interesting ethical, moral issues uh, in Sartar. Uh, and it's got some cool stuff. Yeah, everybody who's listening has hopefully <laughs> already bought it. If not, <laughs> go buy it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting. I did everything between the uh, uh, writing, the layout, and the art. But I had a lot of help from Austin Conrad, who uh, was the editor, and who told me all the places where I was just writing nonsense. And, uh, and Jörg also help uh, a little bit. But if uh, the listeners are subscribed to our newsletter, the Journal of Runic Studies, which uh, provides weekly Gloranthine news in your inbox or your RSS feed or whatever, uh, you should uh, already know about all that, along with um, also the other article we produced. For example, I think last week I wrote an article on the detect enemy spell and how to use it in your game and how to make it fun. Yeah. Eric, did you have other news?
0: Well, we have a couple of shout-outs to other podcasts or YouTube streams. Yeah, sure. So uh, Evan Franke and JD of Exploring Durantha have put out several new episodes, including an interview of Rick Mines. Yeah. And there's the Vintage RPG podcast, which took a first look at Room Quest and its history. Mm-hmm. And they said that they felt they already talked about First all the time, <laughs> but uh, noticed they didn't have an episode about it yet. And another another one is going to follow from what they said. Oh, cool. And another video which is worth watching is an actual play of the first
1: scenario in the starter set. Oh, is it like the Chaosium official stream thingy?
0: Yeah, um, run by James Lauder, who's doing the Chaosium interviews. Uh, James
1: Coquilla, you mean? James Coquilla, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I've got some more news, actually. I just received this week my French RuneQuest giant box, which contained the slipcase, an extra, like sort of a mini Red Book of Magic. It's basically a a small book of the spells, but only the spells from the core rule book and bestiary. I think they did it before the Red Book of Magic was announced or produced. And there is a campaign uh, based around the Dundelos tribe, which contains, I think, five or six scenarios in it. Uh, I don't remember. Plus a, a whole bunch of like extra material. Uh, there's like two more scenarios in uh, one in the rule book, one in the bestiary, curiously enough. And a bunch of references and maps and things that are not necessarily in the in in, in English edition. I think, like historically, a lot of the French editors or uh, foreign editors, maybe I don't know in other uh, countries, have tried to kind of make all of the uh, Chaosium products more pretty. <laughs> and we'll <laughs> no. talk about that maybe even with uh, Nomad Gods, but this time it's kind <laughs> of hard because the, the original product is already is already pretty nice but they still tried like they added a bit of embossing and gloss and thing in in a couple places and um, the um
2: slipcase has some uh, very different art on it as well if i remember it's yes. got some um much more exciting things on the back if i recall there's a yes yeah I Remember the image
1: it has like some uh exclusive uh, oh man i forgot the name of the artist this is uh, quite embarrassing
2: it's um it's it's Yo- I I can't pronounce the name J O A N N S F A R.
1: Yes, Johan Sfar Yeah. Yeah, he makes um a couple of very long-running comic book series but uh I think one of his most famous and most Gloranthan adjacent is a comic book called Donjon, Dungeon, which features a duck as the main character.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 I, I, rem- I remember seeing that Kyger image. image.
2: Um, I was looking through recently the Oriflam releases for um, the Avalon Hill RuneQuest mm-hmm. yeah. back in the 80s and 90s. And although it does contain um, the art from the original Avalon Hill things, some of the art is um, uh, for a very, very different style, not just the covers, of course, but yeah. um, it, it's, they redid the maps as well. Uh, and in some cases, they're much, much better and in other cases of course they are less related to the subject than the material that they replaced <laughs> um there's a um, the one that strikes me most if you've seen it is the cover of Durasta.
1: oh yes it's got the yeah. the knight and the knight on, on the a horse ho- in the middle a horse, of, a, yeah. of a forest yes yeah yeah like um, it's a nice place noras so yeah, yeah. you know take your
0: lady on a romantic right. picnic okay i mean the original uh, has an idyllic uh, glass window image as well yeah that's yeah. true uh,
2: <laughs> it's just it's it's a very nice painting uh, and the artist did yes. all the covers i know yeah. but it's um, it's yeah. kind of like oh that's very interesting <laughs> yeah.
1: i think the artist was actually selling the originals uh, recently and might be still selling I don't know if it's the originals or if it's like um, limited edition prints or something, but... Well,
0: if you really want an unrelated image, I have uh, the original print for the German version of Apple Lane, third edition, yeah. which is absolutely
2: uh, awful. <laughs> oh, I might just have a quick look at that. We have it on the Well of Daliath. I've had yeah. some uh, very helpful volunteers, yeah. not just you, uh, Ludo, but also um, I could Andrea um, has been helping out, and he has put up not only all the German stuff, but he has also edited the history of dragon pass, which was oh, nice. done about yeah. twenty years ago and integrated all of the source all of the source material
1: i've been uh, I've been using that uh, quite a few times for my
2: campaign. yeah it's it's epic and you know shout out to him for doing it because it was a it's a it was an important piece of work to do. Yeah, as it hadn't been updated for 20 years, effectively. And he's done a very nice job of it. And it nice. is much more complicated than everybody thinks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, uh,
1: thanks to him for that.
0: Yeah, maybe we should shout out a little more to the Well of Dalias,
1: yes. since we have its curator here. Yeah, it's. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> as ever, uh, super useful to uh, look up some of the Q&A on the rune rules. So, the, yeah, the history of Dragon Pass, I'm often checking stuff there. I often check, um, moderately often, the uh, prosop- like the minimal prosopedia that's um, yeah.
2: also on the well of Dahlia. So the prosopedia on the well is changing um, yeah. because, uh, to be quite honest, we're bringing out a new one. Yes. Um, it will be out this year. It's in layout.
1: Well, what I like sometimes is also that the well of the actually shows you what the ruins were for different publications and so you can see how you know runes changed and then they changed back to the original runes and things like that so it's yeah and
2: that's that's for me it's a kind of um reference for me as well when people say to me what's the runes for x it's it's this or this but as i say the most up-to-date version is actually the most preferable version in my mind
1: So for the main topic, we have David Scott here, who is the expert on Prax. Well, one of the, one of,
2: yeah, you're yeah. one of the
1: experts. Yeah, on the Prax, I'm pretty, case. you can okay. call me that. I don't know. <laughs> um, our previous episode was talking to uh, some people who played like way back in the day, RuneQuest Quest 2. And now we're going even further back. We're going to Nomad God's which was one of the two original board games that Greg Stafford did at the kind of the beginning of Chaosium that featured Glorentha. And uh, and especially since Chef Richard mentioned a couple times, you know, his list of... Foundational documents. Yeah, his like foundational documents that provide like the foundational canon of Glorantha, And he always mentions... White Bear, Red Moon, and Nomad Gods, the two board games, as part of those documents. We figured we might look at that and see what kind of things we found in it. So, of course, it is extremely hard to find Nomad Gods these days. Uh, Well, it's easy to find it. (laughs) It's harder (laughs) to buy it because it's like something crazy, like 400 bucks or something like that. David was mentioning that he has Nomad Gods, Uh, Do you have it, Yurik?
0: I only have the French edition, uh, which came out uh, when uh, the French uh, Runkers third edition came out. Right, yeah.
2: It's worth just saying before we begin that um, if you want to follow along nomad gods here, um, it's actually very easy to do. Um, You can buy the uh, rules booklet, just the rules booklet, Mm -hmm. um, from Chaosium. This is what I've been uh, reading this week, actually. That came out as part of the Khan of Khans uh, Kickstarter, but I'm not going to go into Khan of Khans, as that's another subject. Um, The other main thing to do is, if we've got the rules, but then people are saying, how do we play it? And you can use something called Vassal. Um, Vassal is uh, an open-source wargaming platform, Mm -hmm. which fans basically add the boards and counters to, into modules, And uh, you can effectively do play-by-mail games in the old Wargaming style. Literally email your moves to each other and it will update. Mm -hmm. And um, a guy, I can't remember his name, I do apologise, it's in the uh, credits for the module. Mm -hmm. Uh, He basically got permission from Greg to do not only Dragon Pass, but the Nomad Gods module. Um, I'd suggest you all pick this up, even if you're not going to play it, because the... um, Modules, although they 've got strange computer names they're actually zip files yeah is the secret and um Although you're not meant to do this kind of stuff uh, you, you can because it's all out there uh, and what you do is you change the name the end of the file name into zip and you unzip it, and what you 'll end up with is uh, an image of the board, and you 'll end up with all the counters separately. Mm-hmm and um the great thing i mean i i must admit i use this all the time because um well just because i do because it's great uh and you can in fact you know it, it, if you ever see me post um any bits of counters and stuff you i've got i've got the counters uh from vassal as such um so inside it there'll be some images and in the images will be all the counters and the counters are arranged as in nomad Gods. So. Um, all the earth counters start with earth, all the darkness, darkness, all the impalas, impalas. And at the very, I think at the very bottom, I can't remember where it is, there's the tables for combat and there is um, the board and all the, all the markers. And it's pretty cool just to actually look at the art close up because it counters a, a tiny, like a centimetre across or, or some imperial measurement. Um, and it means that you can actually get the game out Virtually, and look at all the pieces and stack stuff. Uh, and I've played maybe a dozen games on Vassal. Wow! Yeah, um yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a great resource, but mm. if you're not a board game war gamer, you may just go, "Oh my god, what the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, uh... Uh,
1: I, I installed it. Um, I installed it yesterday to give it a try. Yeah, it's super easy. You install it. You download the the module we'll have the links in the show notes sure. uh, you open the module and there you can start putting your counters on the map it's super easy and as far as i understand you can also play online like you can
2: uh, connect yeah, to you a can,
1: server and and play yeah, with yeah. somebody um uh, somebody
2: else yeah i've far. done that a couple of times yeah and it's um it's it is uh the the vassal system has no limits to it so it's like having a real board. If you want to break the rules, you can right, break yes. the rules yeah. because there's no stacking limits. There's no yeah. um, movement limits. It's actually just the board. Um, and it's, yeah. it's probably you know, kind of a, the for, forerunner of a lot of the new virtual uh, gaming boards that are yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I find it um, very, very handy. And if you want to see the map, which I think is the most important thing, yeah. um, it is in there. Cool. So, yeah, grab a copy of that, and then you can have a look and see about what some of the stuff is that we're talking about.
1: Oh. Yeah, uh, There's no module
2: for White Bear Red Moon, though, right? Yes, there's a module for White Bear Red Moon. There is, yeah, okay, cool. It, it's, it's actually Dragon Pass. It depends on the, um, when the person who did it, it depends on what they did, what they had available. Because all they've done is they've scanned in their copy. So we're talking about the William Church pieces. Yes. Which are uh, not as colourful, but
0: in a, uh, a lot of ways nicer than the French version.
2: Um, I don't know about not as colourful.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, you have the colour backgrounds, but you, you only get silhouettes from William Church.
2: Yes, yes. Whereas
0: the French uh, actually had coloured uh, images.
2: Yeah, that's right. I don't know, the silhouettes have some charm. So I, I have some of the original counters that were done by William Church. Oh. So that the first thing I'm going to quickly show, perhaps we can show some of these. The first counter, for example, is a White Bear Red Moon counter. Mm-hmm. And then the next two counters are Greg's copy with just stuff written on it. <laughs> <laughs> and the third one is um uh, uh, these are all prototypes as such just to give you an idea of how crude it is um greg was a wargamer you've probably read about this in in many places yeah. in, in the 70s or so when wargaming, board wargaming was quite popular and still is uh, you could buy blank chits yeah and basically write your own stuff and so mm-hmm. lots of the early stuff was just written on uh you'll see if you've got um Worms footnotes as well, but some of the very early yeah. ones uh, counters were just runes and numbers written on chits, yeah. and um, the chits are very very small. Of course, uh, I, yeah. I, I can probably send you a, a copy of that one just to give you an idea um, of what it is.
0: There are some uh, in Worms footnotes four, I think, where they yeah, show the old and the new ones.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's. I, I, I would certainly um, use that if you if you want to. That's that should be fine to do that. Um, So uh, William Church did the um, originals. I'm just going to open. So this that I've just shared is the alchemical transformer. And this is the original counter um, (laughs) pre-production of William Church's art. And you can see there's quite a lot of detail in there, which most people are quite surprised at. And, of course, it kind of gets dumbed down um, as soon as it becomes a counter. Uh, The next one um, is Jariel. You know, some of them were just literally left as outlines. So these are the original units um, laid out onto um, uh, a grid uh, of blue paper, which doesn't show up in the reproduction process. It's a combination, literally, of cutting them out and stuck onto the grid. Mm -hmm. Then on top of it, the stars have been letter setted. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might have to explain what letter set is to some people, (laughs) Uh, because it's. um, yeah. yeah, it's
0: basically, and then, basically adhesive uh, tattoos for paper.
2: Yeah, yeah, adhesive tattoos for art. Yeah. So, William Church was doing these. And then, for the lunar units and stuff like that, what they did was they uh, taped over a, a red filter. Ah. So, everything was done in black and white. And then it was, it, it had this, we've got lots of this kind of stuff. Literally, it's taped on. <laughs> yeah, it's worth bearing in mind for all of this, in that um, Greg was very clearly exploring Glorantha. Yeah. So one of the things that we have in uh, in the archive, so as to speak, a folders full of piles of paper, and um, what we see as an end product is White Bear, Red Moon, and Nomad Gods, and. As Jeff Wright quite rightly says, um, we use both of these as core documents for moving forward um, with with RuneQuest. And um, what people do is they look at these things and they think it's kind of like a finished product. <laughs> um, then what they don't realise is that it's finished as such as that. This is what Greg believed at the time was happening. If you see what I mean. Yeah. So if you look, for example, in um, White Bear Red Moon, there's a, there's a map of the Lunar Empire, which yes. is re- reproduced on the Well of Dahlia. And people look at it and go, what is that? And yeah. um, the, the mm-hmm. answer is that that is what he knew at the time. Uh, all his early stuff was Prince Snowdell and whatever uh, from the West. And so he was actually exploring this magical area um, and hadn't actually named some of the pieces. So by the time we get to Nomad Gods, this is this is him fleshing the map out um, into what we see nowadays as Prax, and it, in his head it's clear. I will not even get the whole thing in. In its head, it's clear that um, it's not finished, and things appear on the map that we. We now look back and go, oh, yes, that's Moonbroth. Oh, yes, that's Dwarf Knoll. Oh, yes, that's the Pairing Stone. But I actually just believe these were cool names for places um, that he just stuck on there to fill out the game. Yeah. So we all know that um, a lot of the places on the map were named after his friends in his gaming group. Uh Uh, There's numerous places um, where you can read more about this. But just as an example, we've got Pimpers Block, um, Day's Rest, Tony yeah. Alter, Canswell, yeah, yeah. um, uh, biggle Stone. Pairing Stones. Uh, yeah. Are they named after someone? Yes, Steve Perrin. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perrin Stone. Moons, yeah. You're yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that um, these were just made up to make the yep. game as such and they you know and and to get your friends into a game and who hasn't done that <laughs> yeah. so so that that's the first thing is that although this appears to be a finished product um for us um in 1977 uh, all of this was newly explored blarantha and we didn't have we didn't have rune quest to take it further forward and um uh, you know uh, flesh it out as such mm-hmm. the next step of course is um when RuneQuest appears and the most obvious thing happens when um cults of prax appear and a lot of the things in nomad gods actually become real role playing game items right yeah. so it so, was
1: just a random name on the map now yeah,
2: yeah. be an actual location you can explore yeah yeah so um, a lot of the the stuff just like um White Bear Red Moon, was was being evolved at the time and was only really coming into uh, true existence when RuneQuest yeah. came around and more of the background was needed for role-playing.
0: Yeah, so ba- basically, uh, for me, it is like the Nomad Gods uh, created the devil.
2: <laughs> uh, m- maybe, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to... Um, Sadly, we don't have Greg around anymore to actually ask him. And like a lot of things, I mean, this is nineteen seventy-seven. It's years ago, yes. and I can't even remember what I was doing that long ago. Um, <laughs> it's you know, there's there's a there's a thing about the creative process where if you ask if you, if you ever asked Greg or Sandy um, where things came from, um, they often looked blank and just went, "Yes, I don't know." Yeah, you, know, you know, where did you, uh, a common one, for example, is where did you get the name Orland from? And the answer is, I don't know, you know, it's um, someone may know the secret, but they were just making up names. And it was clear that they they were trying not to use uh, Tolkien-esque names um, to get things to be, uh, you know, in their own um, mythological background. So it wasn't treading on people's toes. And I think he did a very good job of not Tolkienizing um, any of it, which is pretty cool um as as for um the game itself um i i got into uh, role-playing uh mainly because uh the the secondary school i went to had a war games club mm-hmm. and you kind of join a school when you're 12 and you come across this thing called war gaming and you have no idea what it is and then you discover it's lots of people with toy soldiers um <laughs> <laughs> uh, battering each other and it was fun but I was never really into toy soldiers but then um I discovered very very quickly board games
1: yeah.
2: and uh, I didn't know this existed because it was then something you could take home with you and have flat on a big table which is what I had and um I didn't know that fantasy games existed it was quite early on I'm sure people will correct me and tell me that there's lots of other fantasy games um and at the time um when white bear red moon came out i was too young uh, to even know what it was and i didn't really know what nomad gods was until about 1979 uh because they just didn't come into the country as such um if you look at how it was produced um i have actually i have my original here i can show you an original i'm sure you can find a picture of this somewhere they came in um, an american Sort of A4 size ziplock bag. This is an yeah. this is an unpunched version. Um, yeah, um, this is. I think this might be a second or third printing. Um, the Mites, um, guide to Glorantha will tell you more details. <laughs> and um, it came in a ziplock bag yeah. and um, sealed at the top uh, with a folded map. Uh, which often formed part of the envelope you got it in. And um, inside the two sheets, uh, double-sided printed cardboard and a folded map. And um, I don't know what size the rules book is, uh, but this this is this is how games came. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, it, it, you know, this was the most exciting thing in the world <laughs> to get, yeah. you know, a rubbishy plastic bag full of stuff yeah. and go, whoa. Yeah. So I didn't... Re- um, and the history of how Greg produced the games is out there, so I'm not going to go into it. Yeah. But it In was it was very, yeah, yeah, and it was very crude. Um, and as I say, I didn't get one till about 1980. But before then, it is actually worth looking at um, a, another game. Uh, I'm going to bring this up because mm-hmm. um, this is for me the real introduction to fantasy wargaming, and it is a classic. And no one knows about it. And this is a game called Divine Right. Mm -hmm. And um, Divine Right is by a a little-known company called... Uh, TSR Games. Yeah, I don't know those. Yes. TSR Games produced this... This is my original sturdy cardboard box. (laughs) Um, A fantasy um, board game. And uh, it came in a box, and I I just bought this because I I was quite excited, and I'm going to show you this because of the map.
1: Mm. It's a hex map, obviously. Well, it sort of looks like the Dragon Pass map, so it's yes. with colored nations and, yeah. and uh, um,
0: brown uh, brown barbarians in the bottom right. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, and a, and a turn one. marker. Yeah, I'm yes. just gonna.
1: Oh, yeah, there's some red yeah. at the top.
2: Yes, and some, rivers some similarity. And things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, there's some similarity um, between this map. Uh, this was 1979, and I'm not saying that it's been plagiarized at all. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But this was. Um, This was um, a Hex uh, war game, and it had some innovative stuff. I'd really look at it. There was a 25th anniversary version that came out in – I can't remember because I missed it. Mm -hmm. But if you ever get a chance to see it, um, diplomacy cards, and uh, kings had characters. It was a really good introduction to um, fantasy war gaming. And so when um, I got – I got Nomad Gods first, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So when I got Nomad Gods, it was just like, whoa this is a really crude game. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, nomad gods itself was actually quite a simple game. Yeah. Um, if you play it, it's literally just, there's some set battles and you can just batter each other and there's a yeah. winner. Um, And um, as in a lot of games, there's a stepped progression to get the game more complicated. So there's a basic game, which I recommend you play. Um, I actually played a lot of um, basic games with my friends, purely because um, as soon as you start to add magic, and when you're like 14, 15, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily want complication, you want carnage. (laughs) <laughs> and so and so the basic game uh, in the rulebook is actually really straightforward and it just matches the uh, the, the simple um, nations against each other. You want to avoid the uh, impalas because they don't fight they just shoot shoot uh, arrows. Yeah. There's there's <laughs> lots of tactics which which, which come out because of the actual game itself. So, um, if you want to know, if, if you're playing RuneQuest and you want to play in Prax and you want to know how these things work, um, the Nomad Gods board game gives you all of the answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, a lot of people don't actually understand that actually this is this is how how it works. Yeah. So, the, the book itself is is structured. Um, as a board war game.
1: It's only really one, it. one thing that struck me when I read the Nomad Gods booklet is that there's already like quite a lot of, you know, backstory and mythology in it. Yes. And uh, how were the other fantasy games like uh, Divine Right? Like, was there also as much backstory uh, in it?
2: Um, I, I can only speak for Divine Rite. Um, and there there is backstory, but the backstory, it, I'm just going to, let me just flip you back. Oh well, there, there's a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, it, a few there's quite. A, there's a, quite event. a few paragraphs, and I do know people who use Divine Right as the setting for playing D and D in. Oh wow.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, because they 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 kind of mentally thought that because it was produced by TSR, who produced D and D, that yeah. this could be D and D. But the the point is, it's not mm-hmm. any D and D background. You'd have to flesh it out. Right. But the the really interesting part about divine right for me is that each king had a random personality okay. <laughs> so each kingdom had a king and you had a random set of so i'm just going to give you uh, here is the country of imma here mm. is the king but what you did with divine right is that you randomly put a personality card underneath it.
1: Oh, wow. So that when you... The king gets um, some random bonuses and and, uh, things that they need to do.
2: Yeah. And some of them are cowards and won't fight. Some of them are... Is noble and faithful friend. Once his kingdom has joined an alliance, only death can bring about a deactivation. Mm-hmm. So there was quite a lot in this, and as I said, I played in games where people did actually have this as a background, and it was really cool uh, yeah. until we discovered Glorantha, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is which had a you know cults of Prax was a, a, a turning moment. Yes. Um, so the the once wargame wise, um, we moved on to. I moved on to Nomad Gods. I didn't know about Dragon Pass myself. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the pieces. And this was a a much simpler game because if you don't understand uh, wargaming as such, things like Mm -hmm. zones of control and uh, a combat results table may not mean anything to you at all. Uh, But they're they're basic mechanisms uh, to to, to get the game going.
1: Uh, Nomad Gods is split between the basic Advance and magic game and so like the basic yeah. game is really just uh, movement and combat with the uh, combat resolution terrible where you, you basically roll yeah. to see who wins and the zones of control as far as I understand it's like sort of how a unit can also control some of the hexes around it and then the advanced game added more like resource stuff for um, yeah that's right uh, needing that's this, yeah that's a special thing about nomad gods
0: that you need support uh to survive in the room. yeah right so yeah. you needed
1: to uh check that you had like in food and and herds uh, to, yeah. uh, to help with that and then the magic game adds all of the magic stuff with shamans and spirits and bringing gods into yeah. the mix
2: yeah and, and so the game gradually got more complicated and there's this is where um a lot of the um history of prax comes in or the mythology of prax where there's a lot of places named and they have a little bit about them which which is which is important
1: so to make to make it easier to follow should we try to go through the booklet roughly in order and yeah
2: yeah that, I think the the cover of Nomad Gods is uh, quite interesting because um, it's by Gene Day, who was uh, quite a famous comic book artist, some of you may know. Um, It clearly says it's by Gene Day. And the cover basically has absolutely no connection whatsoever to the contents of the book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's got this weird, it's got even like this weird sort of uh, fantasy sci-fi vibe to it, right? Yeah, yeah. It has a golem, it has a a demon. Yeah, but thankfully Uh, uh, there's quite a lot of illustrations inside the book that are actually really good and actually uh, uh, related to Clarenta.
2: And it's um, it's also uh, worth, um, if you look at the credits... and um, uh, and Greg Stafford was the designer of course, Um, uh, Tadashi Ehara was the editor and um, the art was by Gene Day and maps and pieces by William Church. Um, Steve Olive did some supplementary art and then the play testers It's worth just going through. Um, Bob Corbett was uh, who he did the game engine for Dragon Pass. Mm -hmm. It's worth just mentioning that the engine for Dragon Pass and the engine for Nomad Gods is different. They are, they're not compatible but right. if you did some work which some people did they are compatible you can't just move the pieces from one to the other um right. that's important to mention because well when we talk about the french edition um you'll you'll understand more yeah, yeah. Uh, don uh, don dupont um um and sorry as far as i understand
1: so uh white bear red moon was first released then nomad god was released uh Dragon pass was released later, and so the the new rules were effectively sort of a streamlining and uh,
0: uh um, um. no the mechanism changed quite a bit because oh, yeah? now you now you got the attack and parry uh mechanism uh, from Bob Cobert yeah uh whereas previously uh, uh previous you only had one rule and uh the entire combat was done
1: okay
2: yeah it's a single result crt as it's called versus a multiple result Mm -hmm. crt yeah yeah yeah, it's um yeah it it did change in some respects and of course um when white bear red moon was renamed into dragon pass because that was actually a problem with selling it (laughs) nobody knew what it was (laughs) um uh, the Chaosium Edition actually just tidied up the rules. It don't, I don't think it really added any rules. It just got rid of all the typos and mistakes that were corrected in Worm's footnotes. When it went to Avalon Hill, it just put it into the Avalon Hill format, mm-hmm. which is a, a very specific rules with one po- lots of points. Yeah. one mm-hmm. Rule 1.2.3.4, which yeah. is, makes the world much easier to refer to. And it was mm-hmm. always Greg's dream to have an Avalon Hill board game. Oh, yeah? uh, which is one of the reasons why that happened yeah um so b- back in the credits um that's what bob corbett did he was the guy who worked on the engine with, with greg and then we've got don who don's son dale who became the book of dale uh tadesh ihara who of course was um tada mm-hmm. um bill johnson i'm not sure if he was named um steve perrin of course with runequest um Hendrik pfeiffer um or however you want to the pronounce Hendricki? it yeah the hendriki and um yeah something else as well uh jeff pimper for pimper's block uh art Turney was ray Turney's brother he is immortalized in uh, Turney uh, alter and andy Weil doesn't get a mention i'm afraid i don't think um so a few of those people became places Nice, yeah. We've then bas- basically got the Planes of Prax, yeah. in which it, it just gives the very, very simple mythology. Yeah. Why did Greg um,
1: spell it that way, with the extra E, like planes? I uh, have
2: no like idea at all. How did doctors spell it? Uh, well, as we know, the two things aren't related at all. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's merely convergent evolution okay Um, i mean
1: it's the same thing about like why the maps of white bear red moon and nomad gods have north pointing right
2: and yes it may have been just to fit it on the right way so it's it's i think it's just an orientation thing to get the board in the right way Mm -hmm. i I don't to be honest i don't think it even crossed his mind as i say it's um (laughs) the the geography wasn't even done for for prax uh it's we we have this idea that the whole thing is a completely well thought out finished product mm-hmm. and the answer is that no it's some guys who like playing games who are inventing their own background and when somebody says why is it the wrong way out it's just like well you know so what <laughs> it's yeah. it's so uh, it's not um as finished as people imagine Mm-hmm. Likewise um some of the mythology and stuff is quite vague yeah. um, it doesn't it doesn't really um, tell you that that much it, it's just it's just a preamble as such yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's a generic yeah. description of what what praxis and uh, I like how um it still uh, mentions that. The game is based upon three premises, the unceasing quest for chattel property, the fluidity of nomadic life, and the ability to call upon dark and ancient powers.
2: And and that is still very fundamental to the Praxians today. Um, Raiding is part of the setup for Prax. If there's no raiding, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and this is, um, and then it does tell us about, it's the second of an interlocking trilogy of fantasies. And we all know by now, I'm sure, yeah. that um, uh, Masters of Luck and Death um, was going to be the third game, but whether it really existed in any form other than Greg's head and a few sketched ideas, um, mm-hmm. we'll never know the truth. I did actually was part of the conversation many many years ago asking about what it was and the answer is it was very very unformed yeah. and um mm-hmm. it was um I, I i get the feeling that it was kind of like you know when people start to write a trilogy they haven't really thought about the third book and it doesn't yeah. necessarily fit very well
0: um, um I mean, um, the piece on the Holy Country and the RuneQuest Companion basically was uh, the background for that game.
2: Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't forget, by then, Greg had run uh, a Holy Country campaign. We have his Holy Country campaign notes. Mm. Um, and that's that's actually more where that came from. So it, once RuneQuest had appeared, um, there were campaigns running in the background which fed into what the world was, right, um, yeah. so so you might you, we're quite familiar that the, the, there was a Dragon Pass game, yes. and set in Sartre and stuff and the Wooden Temple of the Wooden Sword. But you might not be aware that there was in fact a, a Holy Country campaign oh, cool. um, as well, uh, and that's what fed into the RuneQuest Companion, mm-hmm. um, and also for Masters of Luck and Death, and of course that fleshed out Belantar uh, and all of the other bits. Why should people um, spend money on a rules book, uh, um, which doesn't have any doesn't have anything in it to do with the role playing game, yeah. and um, I, the art is is certainly uh, part of it. Gene Day's art yes. is is actually um, used or was used mm-hmm. as the art direction for the Praxians in the guide. Mm. So we've got some fabulous uh, Gene Day stuff of High Llama riders um, in, in yeah. the basic game. Um, we've got all the William oh, yeah. Church yeah. outlines, which show us how these these things look. And that that's, I mean, there's a lot of art there, which doesn't mean anything at all. We also have an excellent picture on page 12 um, of the zebra riders and um, yeah. how they actually look. And this is this is all still, if people want to use that terrible word, canon. Um, you know, if you if you want to know what zebra riders look like, mm-hmm. with their Empire of the Worms friends hats and how they look on their zebras, we there's a picture in there which is that's exactly how they look. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, and it's still good art. um Yes. No, yeah. It hasn't, there's a lot of art in that book that is really good. I think. Yeah, if you want to know how bison riders look, and i um, jumping through to the um, uh, the middle pages. Uh, there is uh, one of the best pieces of art direction like the big double spread there is the big the big double spread um which is the picture that i always go to um to describe how how it looks
1: page 36 and 37 37 that's right so yeah it's it's a big Double page spread battle that shows various tribes of prax fighting each other, and you've got in the background like giant founders. Yeah, there's a storm bull, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a giant, and uh, a,
0: a, a bison founder. And oh, the yeah. bison founder,
2: yeah. And I'm, I'm who knows not sure
0: whether it's a, an? Imp- I think
2: it's an impala founder. It's an impala founder, yes. Uh, but it, it does. It's it's line art. It's in red of all colours, um, <laughs> and it does show. That's it. That, this is how it is. You use that as your inspiration for mm-hmm. um, for, yeah. for prax, which is actually what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, of course, as well on page um, forty-four, the fir- one of the first pictures of our graph that appears, which is later included in the RuneQuest Companion. Yeah, this is um, a
1: crazy picture which looks like it's from like a Möbius comic book or something, right?
2: Yeah, but, he was a comic um, book artist. Well, <laughs> yeah, but
1: I mean, he's got this insane weird sci-fi helmet
2: and no pants. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Yeah, loin, loincloth, yeah. It's yeah. inspirational. And it's not named as Argrath, but it uh, appears in... Um, the companion. It may not have been Argraph at the time because he's not actually in this, but it's the art that's used for Argraph. We get a picture of Lightning Boy, which is um, some classic yeah. Greek art. Yeah. Um, and we also get um, a really cool picture of Ronance, uh, one of the spirit cults yeah. at the Pax, oh, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: which is a very, very, Greek, uh, very yeah. Greek, with he's got a chariot pulled by lizards, uh, the lizards, yeah. snake, sorry. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you look at it, it, it doesn't work at all. Uh, as a mechanical as a mechanical object um, <laughs> not, at all, not, not at all it's it's yeah. it's more like one of those um uh, uh, two-wheeler electric cars uh, with some snakes attached right. yeah yeah i can't really explain what it is um we also get our first um good art of the bruise uh, and how they look differently um, it, it shows in the background, uh, human headed brews without horns or, or yeah, they have got horns and a kind of weird cat brew with straight horns. Yeah. And then it go. there's some other art we won't go into. Uh, we also get our first Sable Rider art on page 65, yeah. uh, with, with the horned helmet. So, um, some of that I, I really like, and I think it's very inspirational and also the mad map of um, the, how the world actually looks. <laughs>
0: uh, fairly uh, accurate um, compared to the map and White Bear and Red Moon.
2: Yeah, but of similar quality, I should say. <laughs> yeah. so, so the art is certainly worth looking at. But yeah. The counter art is also worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, the counter art is if you're going to play practice, this is what they look like. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, kind of, is this the true, this is where we get dragon snails from as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. The part of the devil.
2: Yeah. yeah. And this, this is um, where, as you said earlier, this is probably where we got the devil from and all of the parts of the devil. Mm-hmm. So as we know, um, in the mythology, uh, it even says that the devil was pinned to the earth by the block when it came down. And, um, The devil isn't in the game, but we have the devil's hand, Kykodemon, the dragon snails, which are part of the devil, would you believe, and the ball stitch, which are fist-sized bugs with long noses that are capable of slipping through cheeks in armor. Yeah,
1: And this is one of the things that I found very interesting, because, like, for example, there is this thing where, um, so like you said, there is this place in Prax where it's a giant block, Uh, that crush the devil and there's like a marsh seeping from under it with lots of chaos creatures and if you go there uh, you roll a dice and there is a chance that the actual hand of the devil comes out and and attacks you and this is the sort of crazy idea that I haven't seen at least and when I was searching through my uh, other RuneQuest product, it's not really used but here you get like just reading this booklet of wargame rules, you get actually ideas for crazy adventures and uh, oh. and events for your adventures.
0: Well, you get a, a, another hand in the Snake Pipolo supplement. Yeah.
2: No, is so, it the same hand? Uh, is yeah, it, is
0: it? I think it's a different one, but yeah. uh, it's the same concept at least.
2: Yes, yes. Um, the other thing um, to bear in mind is that the actual, there's six scenarios uh, to play the game, and it actually says that these are all um, effectively war game scenarios uh, yeah. created by Jaldon. So Jaldon Toothmaker is a mythical figure in Prax, who when he appears, he can, re- he can reunite the tribes. Yeah, and it's these... uh, scenario four that's it scenario four yeah. and it actually tells us that um, all of these games are uh, were instituted by jaldan toothmaker to train contemporary warriors uh, with something of the tactics and thought mode of their enemies who lived in the more fertile and permanent territory yeah. and so if we look at these actual games as jaldan's training things yeah. um, it's cl- it's clear for me that when you get enough praxians in one place doing these manoeuvres, mm-hmm. then the devil starts to appear, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the bigger stuff, which is not in the role playing game as such. Right. Um,
1: B- by the way, while you were mentioning Jalden Toothmaker, um, sure, so he's, he's this uh, kind of hero figure who united all the tribes of Prax to uh, take over pa- uh, Pavis, and, and so he comes back sometimes when uh, you know. Pracks overall is in need and the fun thing is that there is one point in the rule book where jaldan toothmaker is described as a and i quote crazed dental mystic yeah
0: <laughs> like, that, that's his uh, that's his magic uh, where he uh, gnawed away at the wall of pevis and uh, tore down a piece of that wall <laughs> Inspired or, 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 by an encounter on the uh, uh, plateau of statues further
2: east. Yeah.
0: shown on the overview map.
2: Wow, yes. yeah. So so there is, um, th- there's clearly some some backstory yeah. um, which we don't know everything about. So he is called Jalden Toothmaker because he has golden teeth. Um, we We kind of... Know a little bit about his history. It has been slightly fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know if he himself gnawed through the walls with his teeth, uh, or he has some magical power linked to his teeth. I, I personally uh, believe that he has. Um, uh, his teeth are linked to some some other beings that are able to that helped him gnaw through the teeth and uh, gnaw through the walls with their teeth. Uh, and he is kind of their, they're his whiter kind of thing. Mm. Um, so so there's lots of room in the background to interpret it um, the way you want to interpret it because Jaldan, Jaldan is a, a mystical figure and he's yeah. been around for a long time. And as he was a piece in a war game, his backstory is very limited. And even now in RuneQuest Glorantha, um, his background is quite limited. He he's resurrected by argraph mm-hmm. at at his cairn uh, by whatever means you believe that that happened. And um, in in my in in the setting that I have run through with Jeff and a few other people, um, he returns and becomes the Paps Khan, which mm-hmm. is the uh, the overall Waha Khan. He's a Waha hero, mm-hmm. and of course he's given the job that he never wanted. Um, when he originally became, was was a human. Um, he, he was, um, he just wanted to be Waha, to be that figure. And then of course, like all jobs, when you get promoted, <laughs> you get promoted out <laughs> of what you like doing and, and actually become in charge. And he, he was a very bad Pats Khan. Um, and eventually he goes off into the hero wars and actually dies and leaves, leaves history, I think, probably uh, around 1628, 1629, uh, when he goes off with Argraph and the first waves of um, Praxians into, into uh, Dragon Pass. So um, he's historically, he's much more interesting. And as soon as Argraph gets hold of him and uses him to his own ends, um, he effectively leaves the game uh which, which is quite cool in itself he of course can be brought back as um an avatar occasionally by um the right kind of waha khan but actually he just becomes another hero cult um and yeah. who did his thing and his curse is lifted
1: and um uh reading through nomad gods there is a big recurring theme of uh you know gods and heroes who died but that can be called back um, yeah. So all of the tribes, they can call back their founder. They can call back their ancestors. They can
2: call back their protractresses. Yeah. So um, that Jaldon aside, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he basically organized the tribes um, and did war games with them. And the war games are effectively the scenarios in the book. Right. Whereas um, in the Dragon Pass and White Bear Red Moon um, mm-hmm. game, the game the the scenarios are actually the Hero Wars. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas these aren't the Hero Wars, uh, and mm-hmm. so not not connected to it, which is which is quite different, to say the least. Uh, it's a kind of artificial setup. ignoring the wargaming rules which are which which are um not so interesting for role players as such um yeah. the counters the counters themselves um have four corners uh, basically and uh, an image in the middle and just like um Four corners is a bit of a stupid thing to say because they are square, of a square, of course. Um, and duh, um, but what they do have on them are some numbers, and the numbers, if you give them a quick scan, do give you uh, uh, an idea of what they can do. And so they have uh, basically a combat factor, a magic factor. And they also have a movement factor, and this will give you some idea of um, what people are able to do and how they're able to do it.
1: Yeah. So, for example, when when they present all the tribes, um, so it's all the tribes of Prax that you would know from even like the the RuneQuest uh, rulebook. book. And so, already here you can see that I don't know the bison are slower. Uh, they have like a, a slightly slower movement factor, but they are uh, bigger fighters. They have a higher combat factor and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of special symbols that say: Is it a deity? Is it a spirit? Is it invulnerable to magic? All, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's that's not so important um, for, for role players. It, it may be important if you're going to use these things as a jumping off point. There's the, there's a couple
1: places where I found it interesting like for example uh i think for example the baboons are said to be like very magically potent and there's even like a, a mistake because they say they're very magically potent but they only have like a very small magic factor and then in the worm's footnote it says like oh no it, it's an error they should have like eight instead of three or something like that yeah yeah that's um, right there i found that there's interesting things that i didn't really Find like in the guide or in some of the rune quest uh, things, or maybe I missed them. Uh, For example, there are some rules where one faction might have their factors or their stats doubled against other factions. So for example, the Bolo Lizard Folk, which is like one of the minor tribes of Prax where you've got like people basically riding lizards. Uh, they get doubled when fighting high lama riders, and I'm like, you know, what's the story behind behind there? So it's like maybe that's something you use. <laughs> maybe that's something you use in your game where there is like some kind of feud or yeah. um, uh, yeah. political backstory thing between those two tribes. Uh, I
2: don't know if it's and, been uh, ever used.
1: Uh, you have uh, very uh, long uh,
2: legs uh, and pull Paulas. So <laughs> the the uh, important thing to understand as well is that this is a war game, and um, in War games do tend to be balanced um, as opposed to role-playing games, which there's no balance intended whatsoever. Uh, Mm It would be too complex to even think about it. And so I think that's probably a result of playtesting in which one side was seen to have a ridiculous advantage. And so uh, because the background hadn't been fixed, that's exactly the kind of thing that is added to balance stuff out. Mm-hmm. As soon as you realize that, you know, one player is, is got a massive advantage due to X, you can introduce another piece, which doesn't do much else, but can counter that, uh, mm-hmm. if used properly. Okay. So I, I, for some of this stuff, it's, um, it's the unformed, um, prax, um, which has made this, this is what formed it. You're absolutely right about that. Um, the numbers, the numbers are interesting in that factor. Um, So I was just going to jump through um, the board. uh, There's a section on the board about what the counters and the colours mean on the board. Um, Fertile ground in winter, fertile ground in summer. And this is what we turn to as well when we're actually looking at at Prax itself. So much so that um, you must all have seen the marvellous map by now in the starter set, kind of done in the style of the original uh, troll pack Mm -hmm. Um, publication from Chaosium Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And um, it's being expanded in different directions, as you can imagine, as needs must. But Mm -hmm. the idea is basically just to keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. So we do end up with, well, maybe the whole of Garanthodon, Who knows? I I wouldn't want to say that now. Um, (laughs) Matt Ryan, who's doing the map, is quite busy with it. But there is um, the basis for the Prax part of it Mm -hmm. is actually based on this board. Yeah and this board then fed into greg's master maps right so yes, yes, you the,
1: the, it, it shows like some of the hex that have uh either chaparral which is the normal like deserty um well not really desert but uh, mm, uh, and then there are like the um summer fertile grounds where you've got like some grasslands on the uh, half of the year and the winter fertile grounds with i think are fertile all year long uh and plus the um it's called the altars in nomad gods but it's mostly called the uh oasis Oasis. um, yeah yeah in in the guide and 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 all that but yeah it sets up the 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 basic um, important places where tribes might want to um, control an area or not right yeah
2: and uh, um, the, the other thing is that um, looking at the map itself, so if you get yourself a copy of um, the Vassal version of Nomad Gods, you can see the map quite clearly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good to see that some places hadn't been fully formed either. So, for example, the Dead Place, yeah. which by the time William Church's map had been drawn in RuneQuest 2, was a, was actually a heart.
1: Yeah, and here at is just places, a collection of random of little.
2: Little, yeah, with um, the winter ruins in it as well. So it actually become much more of a geographical feature. We can also see here, um, upside down on the map, that the Eritha Hills, which aren't named, are in fact in the shape of a cow. Yeah, yeah. And that translates into William Church's map where we know Eritha was buried underneath uh, the, the earth and uh, is in fact a cow. Uh, so that was expanded upon as well. So this was all very crude at the time. Um, the the other thing which has uh, appeared um, in a, a, a cruder form is the big rubble, right? And yeah. pavis. Uh, I, and, I found um, it
1: interesting to see that uh, on the map, the river, the Zola Fel, only goes through the big rubble and not through the
2: pavis. Yeah, yeah, and and of course these are stylized five kilometer, uh, five mile, eight kilometer hexes. And at, at the time, pavis wasn't really a thing. It's um you know the the river follows um, and it, it's important to note that um like all hex maps um, it's it's stylized because yeah. the ridge lines yeah. follow the hexes, um, yeah. whereas yeah. if you want if you want to make this a, a real world you you don't do that and um, and so f- future proper maps just ignore that completely, and William Church's map completely changed that as well which is good. Uh, and it's got lots of lots of places on there uh, which are, are are quite well known now. Interestingly because they um they weren't really thinking about the background whatsoever um day's rest which is a waha holy ground now is actually a little carnival tent. <laughs> uh, um, ter-
1: oh yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Turney altar is actually the colosseum by the looks of it. Yeah. yeah. whereas now now it's a natural amphitheatre. Uh, uh-huh. Biggle stone is a mushroom. a mushroom.
1: There's a mushroom, so that's... Uh, I mean, there is still a mushroom forest now, right?
2: Yeah, there is. It was a forest now, not a giant mushroom. Um, yeah. Agape, or agape, as people think it says, but it's um, uh, agape is actually... It's a play on words because it's Aritha's mouth open. Well, um, uh... I've never known what that splodge is. <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at it now and it's just it like, like oh my. A,
1: to me it looks like a tent covered
2: in uh vegetation in leaves or something yeah know. who knows uh Corfloo is a fully developed city uh <laughs> yes. which which uh with um, minarets yeah which i always think is quite funny um uh sogs ruins is actually just ruins which is kind of a standard william church squiggle drawing cams mm-hmm. well is kind of a, an old English uh, covered well <laughs> yes. um, with a little roof and winding handles, and yeah. um, that. So, so, these things, these things aren't what we think they are um, on this yeah. map. It, mm-hmm. it, it took a, a, late, a later work to change them. Uh, the Paps is sort of like a Greco-Roman uh, temple built into the uh, rock face, which is basically what it is now. Yeah. Uh, the big rubble is rubble. I'm trying to look at a few other. Uh, the Sun Dome Temple actually is probably one of the most true things. It is as yeah. Sun Domes are portrayed on the cover of um, of products, and um, it is a golden dome on top of a square base. So that's that's one of the few things which actually uh, is still correct. And the uh, Pairing the wound, stones. has a geyser. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and uh, that's probably yeah. true. A Dwarf knoll just has a, a stylized dwarf. Yeah, carrying stone stone,
1: stones. Also. Yeah,
2: I think that probably covers all of the... Um, well, we have the big features like Taras uh, Tumulus and uh, the block. Yeah, taras Tumulus um, um, doesn't have anything on top of it because it's a big tumulus. Uh, the block is just a big block. Horn Gate is, um, I, I wouldn't even like to describe, it's a giant set of cow horns on top of some kind of altar. Mm -hmm. Um, and Old is still a set of ruins on top of the Aritha Hills. So um, things evolved as soon as it reached Cults of Prax and started to get written down. Um, They were just just, um, names and images for places on a game which hadn't been um, developed fully. One of the biggest changes, I think, is um, the No Man's March is actually now the Pole Journey marches oh Um, right yes okay that that was the pole joni didn't really exist at this time um Mm. they, they they came about a bit later moving on to the actual tribes section which was the basic game we have the the um The five major tribes that everyone's familiar with, uh, the Sables, um, the Impala, the Bison, the High Llama, and the Moroccans. Moroccans are quite crude. Um, And this is kind of the first um, telling of the uh, the tale of the Covenant. Uh, The Covenant is the arrangement that Waha made with his mother or grandmother in this case, about how um, there are weird things happening on the map. It's literally, I think, is is just an explanation as to why they can have tapirs or some kind of dinosaur on the map um, and, <laughs> and, and, and make, make it different. Um, and so that's the first real mention of the covenant. And it's important to know that the, the covenant isn't really fully detailed anywhere. Um there's lots of people, I saw a discussion uh over on BRP Central where people were making lots of statements about I don't understand why this is this and why that is that. The answer is that that we don't we don't know. All we know is that, you know, all men claim the Moroccans cheated and um the Moroccans claim the men cheated um it's it's not any more complicated than that um <laughs>
1: well it it does mention that the covenant was for knowing which between the the pairs so the pairs of like you know um uh, of animal and man which one would be uh living from the land and which one would be living from the animal yeah yeah, yeah you're right about that And this, to me, is why I know that there's a lot of people arguing about whether in their Glorantha the Moroccans are omnivores or are just uh, vegetarians and all that. And uh, this is why, to me, it makes more sense to have the Moroccans be omnivores just like humans so that they can live off the
2: beasts. So just for a bit of clarification, I shall spin this off a little bit. Um, So when I was starting to do work on... um, Tracks for HeroQuest Glorantha. Um, I was in contact with Greg over this because um, he, he he wrote this game. Why why would I not talk to the to the man <laughs> yeah, who wrote yeah. the thing? And one of the one of the things just to be aware of is um, the effect of Sandy Peterson on the world of Glorantha. Sandy wasn't around when Nomad Gods uh, was around, but he did join Chaosium and he did add a lot to the creation yeah. of. Uh, Glorantha, but one of the things that if you ever went to a convention, that was quite clear to me, mm-hmm. is that there's Sandy's Glorantha and there's Greg's Glorantha. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and and they did inform each other, but you kind of have to say to yourself, well, who who who's Glorantha are we playing? um And of course, it, it's not as straightforward as that. But if you've got the two people in the room answering questions, yeah. Sandy would contradict Greg. Uh, and Greg would correct him, and Greg would con- uh, 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 contradict Sandy, and Sandy would correct him. Mm-hmm. And often Greg would say, "No, no, this is how it is." And for some <laughs> things, he he would let it go because he, he wasn't interested. Um, it, it's it's a big world, and it was very clear to me that everybody has interests in different areas. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. it came to uh, looking at prax and why certain things, um, uh, the way they are. One of the the biggest th- things that he said, and this was to me, mm-hmm. uh, was that the Moroccans are vegetarians. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sandy's Moroccans are not vegetarians. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when you're when you're working on a project, what do you go with? Uh, and the answer is, um, we go with what the original creator yeah. of the Praxian tribes wanted. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, there's, there's, it's, it's all actually quite ambiguous because there is actually nothing that says the Morocanth eat humans and vice versa, you know, oh, uh, no, and the yeah, other ones, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And
1: um, it just makes all, more sense to me for the covenants, so, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, my, yeah. My, my but varies.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, your varies. and so uh, the, the 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 stance we take is that the Morocanth are vegetarian, and what that does is it makes them we actually have to think about how a role-playing game works because the thing is that if you have five tribes, the major tribes, and we just have them as different clones of of each other, except that one of them is a set of animals, um, what we need to do is we actually need to concentrate on what their unique features are because if we don't concentrate on their unique features, they're all just the same. And nomad gods, they were just chits on a board and none of this mattered. So with Greg I spoke through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um the fact is that um he told me so I'm going to say this is how it is. Uh the Moroccans are vegetarians. They only eat their herdmen in ritual ceremonies which is only probably once a week mm-hmm. because you've got a holy day once a week. Mm-hmm. So they do eat herdmen we're not we're not disputing the fact that they don't. But the rest of the time the herdmen gather Roots and vegetables for uh, the Moroccans, and um, the morocanth hunt to feed meat to the humans, to the herdmen,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the herdmen uh, don't. The, the herdmen are omnivores; that they, they are humans, effectively, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but with animal intelligence. And the point is that they 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 can survive on a non-meat diet, but they don't thrive, mm-hmm. and so. If you feed them meat, their skin is better. Their hair is much more lush, and so one of the major exports of the Morocanth clan is rope made of human hair, effectively, uh, which is really cool.
1: So, if anything, it makes uh, it makes the Morocanth actually nicer to their herds than the others who just let their bison graze
2: and don't actually do yeah, much yeah. For them. And the the Morikant were in a very difficult position because they were animals that suddenly became. Intelligent and had to manage herds, and so they used the humans as a model um, of, of how to how to be people, mm-hmm. and so they're actually quite social with their herds and Of course, all of the information that we have, which doesn't change anything, is that the moroccan the slavers, mm-hmm. uh, which is true, they take in humans and they look after them. It's just a point of view um, when humans are when, sorry when herdmen are captured by the other tribes they don't they're eaten by the other tribes by the way the other yeah. tribes eat human eat herd men just as often as any other creature because they raid but the point is that they don't want to feed them meat yeah. and so herd men are the first eaten uh you know you you get this whole ecology building up in that um they all look disheveled and so outsiders see disheveled looking humans with the tribes and they don't mention that these are herd people and they're about to be eaten uh, they just get eaten and they're out of the way whatsoever. So
1: there are stories in Dragon Pass that uh, the Praxians eat uh, slaves. Uh, and, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, the, the Praxians have slaves, but we don't ever see them eat. It's the whole point. Oh, right. And that it's the Morroquants <laughs> that keep these human slaves. And so they're the bad people. And I think it's probably best equated with a really bad form of sort of intercountry, country inter-nation racism. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you say bad things about these people because it covers up the fact that you're eating these, these herd men as well. And um, your allies from outside Dragon Pass wouldn't be very happy with this because they don't necessarily understand what you're doing, um, each each culture to itself. The, the real trick is that the Moricanth are the big traders in slaves and captured Praxians. So if you want a go-between... Uh, for your captured Praxians, you make sure you give them to the Morricanth, because the Morricanth aren't going to eat them. Mm-hmm. They're going to look after them very well. And then they go and trade them and get the ransoms back. So the, the, the Morricanth are, in fact, uh, middlemen in the ecology of uh, nomad ransoms and stuff. Right. So it's kind of like, yes, they're man-eaters and, and yeah. terrible stuff.
0: So how come they are brought from Pimpers' Block?
2: Uh, well, that is a, a, a quite an interesting question because you don't want the Moroccans there for obvious reasons because you'd see what was really going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I you'd don't, see, you'd I don't see, know if it's very, if it's going to be very easy to keep this secret for
2: generations, though. No? Yes, I, I, I think there are definitely people who know that the Moroccans aren't what they seem to be, mm. but don't forget, it's people in distant lands. You know, oh, Man. there's a man-eating tribe out there. If, you, if you're a Praxian, you know this. Yeah. Um, if Man. you are a lunar occupier uh, at the time of the lunar occupation, you're dealing only with the Sables. Yeah. Uh, the Sables tell you how it is. However, the seven mothers who go out into the tribes, and don't forget there are seven mothers worshippers in the Moricanth as well. Yeah. They know what's really going on.
1: And besides, the general population might not, like, uh, you know, sp- the spread of yeah. information is not going to... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's very it. ...very well. It's hard to argue our ordinary facts. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Um, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is It is what as, it as is. As we all well
1: know these days. Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: The, the thing is, it doesn't actually change what is there already. Um, it's just... It, any publications we have will be pushing this, so not pushing it, but but stating this fact, as opposed to everybody else beforehand who has their own fixed ideas. Uh, so in fifty years' time, when we're all dead and there's all the new players, they'll all know that the Morocan for vegetarians. <laughs> uh, it's it's just you know how how it's going to be, and it's how Greg wanted it to be, and we're going to respect what the author of Glorantha. Um, you know the originator of Barantha actually wants. Um, if you want to play it different, that's absolutely fine by us. But when we want, we're not going to support it otherwise. The and so this makes this makes the Morricanth much much richer, and um, it also leads into the fact that people forget that the most respected elder at the Paps is a Morricanth. Yeah. Um, she's been there since. Um, Fifteen seventy-two.
1: So when it when it comes to um, the most respected elder, because like um, so, it's basically the high priestess that lives in the paps, which is like some kind of capital for um, yeah. the the fraction tribes, and the new respected elder is only replaced when the previous one dies, right? Yeah, uh, because like the first scenario is this thing where every five years the priestess of the paths hold a, a big game between chosen people of the plains yeah and at first i thought that was the thing that was electing the next respected elder but
2: uh, i guess not no they live for a long time um right. 82 92 okay i think I- igarja reigns for 40 years
0: 60 years, nearly.
2: Yeah, 60 years. She does live for a long time. She's not the oldest surviving one. But the, the thing is, yes, you're right about the um, the scenarios. And a lot of people have historically, uh, I mean, real people, by the way, as opposed to um, in, in the game, um, a lot of people have gone into these scenarios and say this is how Prax is because it is in the game. And the answer is that... Um, it's not. It is an every five years the priestess of the Paps holds a great and deadly game amongst the chosen people of the plains. Mm-hmm. Each, you know, it's a it's a capture the flag kind of thing, right? And it, it's just it's a ritual that they go through. And the we know that the way of Waha is very very important. That the tribes mustn't become sedentary. They they have to raid each other, and this is a kind of um, tournament effectively, to show that there's still enough and keeps them honed. And, of course, you can imagine the tribes sending their best young warriors, because you just send the young people who are full of testosterone and, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, they all come back and said yes, we did well. And um, <laughs> I'm sure they get to pick the best wives and husbands the, um, you can imagine that um, the, the women who take part are selected to be priestesses at the Paps or assistant priestesses. You can, you can you can read a lot into it, and it's just just view it as a as a kind of bigging up one of the clans, one of the tribes. And 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 I've used it in games as well. You know, every five years it happens. It, it, what I do is I I actually have it as variable. Um, yeah. Between th- three and seven years, just so I can roll the dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things um, that I did in my as the basis for Hero for *Glorantha* was, when people are creating the tribes, it, it was important to get a grip on the nomadic feel of the tribes. Yeah, and what I did basically was I, I did a number of playtests with this, and uh, I just got a, got the map from the the Arganagar Atlas. Of the wastes, and um, I got them to put on the map where the tr- their tr- their clan was every season. Right, and um, we based this on the idea that the clans all have um, historical uh, roots that they do because it's a, a tradition. Yeah, uh, we've got some texts from Greg which shows how the Praxians move through the landscape, and um, every. Maybe fifty years, they end up at the Paps. Okay. Yeah. They don't. They don't. They don't go there all the time. So there's a kind of, and I used a little. So on, on I haven't got one to hand, but basically I had a, a hex map, mm-hmm. and on it, in black and white, there were the season runes, yeah. and then sacred time, and the the tribes would wander around, and basically a tribe can get anywhere within Prax and the wastes in a year. So it didn't matter if it was diagonally the furthest points or if it was very short. <laughs> but that's exactly where they were. And then what we did is we dotted in a line where they would end up at the paps at some point, be it sacred time or not. So there was an overall thing. And then we ran the game where people could knew where their base was. Okay. And um, it was great to have newcomers look at this map um, and not know what anything was on it and just go, Oh yeah, look, the devil's Marsh sounds really cool. Um I want to be there <laughs> in sacred time. Um, or oh the dead place looks really cool let's be there in sacred time and i i just let them do it yeah yeah um because why would you fix it and of course some of the more experienced players went oh well we don't want to be there because we'll get eaten by (laughs) chaos and oh we don't want to be there and of course uh, i just said the thing is your tribe won't be your your clan won't be killed outright you clearly survive every yeah, year yeah. doing this so you know you, you could go to all the chaos places you could just be that that clan that visits every chaos spot and for some reason you're more resilient and then you kind of draw an arrow between it using this kind of map and the expanded map with the wastes and you play your adventure mm-hmm. against that background Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so this is a really good use of the hex map here and the hex map yeah. in Narganagar mm-hmm. Atlas Jörg yeah, you wanted to Yeah, I wanted to ask how you put the Eternal Battle into that. The Eternal Battle is um, basically a force unto its own. Um, It says the Eternal Battle is a phenomenon which is particular to Prax. The natives all feel it, for it is a battle of immortals and the doomed are fought since the dawn of time. It's a fragment of the final battle against chaos, and it's one of the places where Stormball lives. Stormball, um, all gods live in multiple places. That's the the nature of gods they can bilocate. Stormball is always above the desert in the the, the Great Storm, which you can see inside the Arganagar Atlas. It's very faint, but it's there. But he also lives inside the Eternal Battle. And so I tend to use the Eternal Battle as where Stormball characters go and meet Stormball. Everybody else runs away from it because um, it's a special encounter. It does appear in encounter tables in uh, the Pavis book and a few other places. But generally, generally speaking, as the eternal battle appears, everybody runs the other way. Everybody moves their hordes herds out, yeah, because there's like lots of sand winds and skeletons appearing yeah, and, yeah um... it's 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 bad, and all the stormball run towards it, going yeah <laughs> and, they can, and, and um they they can go and fight along stormball i mean i I think it's yeah. uh it's like a hero quest you have no choice about
1: yeah
2: i mean and
1: especially if you give the correct carrots to the players, they're going to go there either because they want to fight with Stone Rule or because they're going to get some sort of hero questing gift from it. Yeah,
2: it's it's a hero quest, certainly. And I would never inflict some of these um, big war game counters on a player group, because
0: no, no. My question really was: uh you have your regular grazing ground you want to go, and now you now the eternal battle comes in, in the in the
2: way. Yeah, it's not there. It's not there all the time. Uh, and, and and this is: you have your regular grazing. You're absolutely right, but let's not let things get in the way. The Praxians are pragmatic. If if Quim, the giant monster, is standing in the middle of your grazing uh for a season, you, you just you're all going to stand there at a distance and watch it. um But you, you're aware that it could charge. But I think also that the Praxians are quite pragmatic in this respect. Oh, oh, we do know this. Um, there's, there's an important concept here that I, I, I didn't know existed until I talked to Greg, Greg told me about it. Uh-huh. it. It fits more in with Hero Quest Glorantha than it does with RuneQuest because there's a concept that isn't really supported in RuneQuest. And that is the Praxians are deficient in... Theism, if that makes any sense. So um, the Sartorites and Orlanthe and all that are primary theistic. They're 90% theistic and 10% spirit Uh and 1% sorcery. We'll just throw that into the mix. Uh The Praxians are 90% spirit, 10% uh, theistic, and probably 1% sorcery as well. There is some sorcery amongst the Praxians. It's very very limited though, and the reason for that is that it's part of the destruction of the land. Their gods were destroyed. Yeah. G- Genert was killed. Um, we've got great names of all the big battles like Earthfall and Stormfall and all, all the other stuff. And that, that's a, that's
1: something that you get when you read Nomad Gods. Like I said earlier, there's a big you know theme of dead gods and dead heroes. And yeah, yeah, there is a very big section on all of the spirits that you can yeah. ally and and use in your um, um on, in, in your forces. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of spirit counters and quite a few that I didn't know about, uh, and they're all like also great sources of ideas for adventure.
2: Yeah, and they're all in the new cult book, which will come out. Ooh, fancy. All the spirit cults are in there from oh, nice. Nomad Gods, finally, yeah, sure. from, from this edition. And the, the, the as I said, the thing that Greg said is that they, they, the, the covenant, so the secret for part of the covenant, which is, I, I was like, whoa, is that how do the creatures, how do the herds survive on the plains with such a diminished um, food stuff? And the answer mm. is they eat the spirit plants. mm yeah. So so there's a whole ecology there uh, that that nobody knows apart from the Praxians. But the animals, they thrive on eating the plants that are in so the he, spirit if, world. if you bring well. a bison
1: from Sartar who wasn't part of the Covenant, he would actually starve in Prax.
2: Uh, well, uh, do you know... Uh, or there's there's a not fare as well. It wouldn't fare as well, but once it's blessed by Oritha... Right. Yeah, sure it can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It needs to be brought into the covenant. Yeah. It needs to be brought no. into the covenant. So, so that that's the real secret is that they they so they thrive because they can eat the spirit crops. Right. Yeah. That's that very cool. Other people can't see. And this is this is not written down anywhere. I mean, I'd really like to see it uh, fully integrated. But do you know in a game thing, it's just like, um, what? So, so when you go into the spirit world of Prax, it's much more lush. Mm, nice it's just not it's
1: all the dead plants from all the dead plants that died yeah 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 yeah. so um that's since we're um since we're talking about bringing animals into the covenant can you talk a bit about this whole thing about the zebras and how they are like horses in disguise or is that uh, like a short version (laughs) (laughs) because like the, the zebra riders are in nomad gods and there is this really funny thing where it's like Horses are banned from prax. Except and, when they're not. And I'm not yeah. clear exactly on why. Yeah. But those are allowed because they have painted stripes on them effectively. Yeah. Um and, and so they don't look as much like horses. Um, so Yeah. So-
2: so there is a short version and the short version is is actually quite simple and this is this is actually important not to get too hung up on what some of the things that have been written uh, are. So um first of all um you need to just be aware that the zebras are a counter that appeared in a game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then gene day yeah, sorry Twice, actually, Twice. because we have a Pevers Royal
0: Guard already in Dragon Pass or White Bear Red Moon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: there's not much that written about them, and then we get Gene Day's picture of cool people in EWF outfits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, it's all been retconned in, as most of Glorantha has been by <laughs> by the author, and yeah. um, we do have quite um a detailed history. That um, so first of all. Wild zebras exist in prax. Interestingly enough, they have no people to ride them, okay? At some point, they lost their people or they never had them. It doesn't matter. If you want to play a zebra rider and have a whole hero quest thing back in time to do that, that's fine. So the next thing is that we come across, um, I'm just going to find my notes here, um, uh, Joraz uh, Kyrem. Yeah, And uh, he's basically a historical figure. He's part of the Empire of Worms' friends. He's in Pavis. He's got cool friends who are magicians extraordinaire. And he realises one big problem uh, with the Arrowsmith dynasty is that while they are foreigners, Your house, and, and, and what occupying the Paraguas grazing, so don't forget that the rubble, is built on one of the most fertile grazings belonging to the Praxians, (laughs) okay? As long as that happens, and you've got Praxians, it's just going to be forever, they're going to be smashing into each other. Mm -hmm. And he had the very clever idea, um, being a manipulative person, that why don't they just become Praxians? Mm -hmm. Let's let's cheat. I mean, I'm just going to, this is in game terms. Let's cheat and become Praxians and be accepted. And so, basically, he went and um, by whatever means. Let's not let's not get too much into it. He crossbred um, the horses, are uh, from his dynasty, with the wild zebras, mm-hmm. and created something new. And um, the something new, it, it kind of went further than expected, because he, at the very end of it, they became praxians. It, it kind of all backfired in that um, it, I, think, I think we've got real world analogies where, you know, people marry into royal families. Mm-hmm. So, 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 for example, a, a very simple bit of history is that if you look at the English royal family, there's a whole point where um, due to complications, we run out of, um, of heirs and invite a distant relation who is the House of Hanover into in, into into the you into britain and effectively the whole royal family is actually german <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then and then bizarrely um you know and i'm sure the house of hanover as it was yes we will be in charge forever ha 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 you know the great empire whatever and then of course you know a hundred years later they're not german anymore at all they're they're british And I think that the same thing kind of happened. People, these things happen. And um, the people at the time have great plans and ideas of what's going to go on. And then at the very end of it, they're just more bickering Praxians. The actual mechanism is a kind of, we've got some information about it, which is Joraz hero quests back to the Green Age. And um, he goes back and meets the Zebra Mother and uh, mates with the zebra mother but comes back and the zebra mother gives birth to twins who are one's a zebra uh, one's a a, a woman Mm -hmm. and at that point uh the most respected elder says my god you're the zebra founder (laughs) so so he proves he is the zebra founder uh, gives birth to uh, two children, one who is a zebra uh, one who is a, a woman uh, the woman whose name I forget she becomes the core of the new zebra clan they' not there 's yep. not very yep. many of them mm-hmm. at all yep. um <laughs> and um eventually she becomes the most respected elder so in the cycle of the i 'm just going to find my uh, notes here <laughs> Yeah, a lot of this yeah. got a lot of this got fleshed out, and to be absolutely honest, um, it needs to be edited down and turned into room fest, which, is, which is with a narrative game system. As you, as you probably all know, with writing, you can write pages of bollocks, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's completely <laughs> irrelevant to anybody else apart from your own mind. And uh, then, then you suddenly have to turn it into a game, and then thing, then somebody changes the game system, and uh, you're off on yeah. something else. There is, a, there is a cycle at the Paps, um, which is not of any interest to any role-playing gamers, because it, it, it doesn't mean anything. But the pattern goes that the first most respective elder at the dawn uh, was an impala. And uh, the, the reason for that was that the impalas couldn't find their homeland. It had been lost uh, in the gods' war. They find it later on. And then it effectively goes impala, high Lama, sable, uh, rhino, bison, morocans And don't forget, the rhinos were a major tribe until a terrible happening happened. And so the rhino position, which is number four in the cycle, then cycles between the lost tribes. So it just goes impala, high llama, sable, other, and then bison and morocans And it follows those cycles. And then the other goes plains, elk, nose, horn, long nose zebra and the transition with to the zebra happens uh, at the time of um the priestess who the, the girl who grows up she becomes the priestess and um she's called um i've got her name actually because there's a whole story about it because i had a whole zebra game as well there's yeah, nothing like no, i do, i
0: have one tooth <laughs>
2: oh nice yeah yeah so jorgera <laughs> joria yeah. sorry Joria becomes the most respected elder because mm-hmm. uh, she is the, the first. She's the first born from the fat from the zebra found her. Her father is of course Joraz. He's died, and and from then on the zebras become a tiny clan. They're a clan that grows and grows and grows, and it's it's kind of like it's just um, it's an example of um, you can hero quest to to make something from nothing. And, and that's the short story. Um, he is the, the zebra <laughs> founder. Right. The zebras um, are a tiny, tiny tribe. After after the major tribes, we of course get into the 10 independents minor tribes
1: on yeah. Yeah. page 29. Yeah, and this is where they are listed under the Tavis survivors, I think.
2: Yeah, there's much yes. more been written about them. Um, there's there's a whole bit of you know Joraz going to the, the the priestess and saying, "How do you suffer? Blah blah blah. We can do it." Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't get too much into the stripes and stuff uh, to be absolutely honest, because this happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I mean, it's it's not
0: part of uh, not part of nomad gods, but in the Pavis box we have the detail of the cavalry zebras which are actually crossbreeds between uh, between the true zebra uh, true riding zebras and yep. horses
2: and and that's and that's the, the the secret so what we do have is we have there are wild zebras which are smaller we have cavalry zebras which are um selectively bred is probably the best idea and the fact that the the secret of the zebra tribe is they know how to selectively breed these this particular cavalry zebra. Yeah, you
1: know when I look at the ten independents, to me like the ones that were like, oh, I wonder what that is. So it's like, yeah, the zebras, um, the cannibal cult, which I've heard before, but doesn't feature very much in many uh, products, which is no one knew what it was. But, yeah, I mean,
2: it's—I'd <laughs> love to add some cannibals in my fraction games. Yeah, so so they've all, um, so so the—I'm just going to pull up some numbers because um, I've got, I think it's important to understand um, some of the the size things about this because, yeah. uh, one of the one of the things in RuneQuest, which is historically also been a bit of an issue, is that some of the independent tribes have been given undue weight. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, in in the setting where actually they are, uh, I, I, you know, if you're going to use them, use them. There's no problem with that at all. But actually, there's many, many less than people imagine.
1: Well, I mean, I was looking at the guide, and it says that in the in the entire wastelands, the independents are about like thirty thousand. So even yeah. if you if you just divided by the ten independents, there's only like you know three thousand
2: per independent. Yeah, that, that's right. And don't forget to, to make it the better. The rhinos. There are eighteen thousand rhinos. Right. So I guess
1: it makes everything <laughs> else super small. Yeah,
2: yeah well, that's I mean, right. It's but... good because
1: you you maybe don't want like three thousand cannibals wandering around.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. um it, It's probably um only. um I'm just. Let me just bear in mind. I'm just going to bring up the actual numbers because I do have some very exciting spreadsheets. <laughs> um, oh, I love which, spreadsheets. Which everybody loves a spreadsheet. And, oh, yeah. and what I can do is I can actually just <laughs> I can just read. Uh, here we are, the independence breakdown. Let's just see if it's that one. So while, while working on this and going backwards and forwards with Jeff, there's, um, you, you suddenly start to get some numbers. I've got the numbers here. So um, let's look at the Zebra, the Pavis survivors. Yeah, there's 1,000 Pavis survivors who are the Zebras, of which um, 50% are children. Um of course, yeah. Uh 25% males, 25% uh females. So there are only uh, 250 men and women uh yeah. in amongst yeah. the, the zebras. And if you if you kind of do do the maths, so the, the maths that we use mm-hmm. as a ballpark figure, uh I haven't got the cult breakdown in front of me, is that for every hundred people, you've got one rune lord or rune priest or shaman or magician or whatever. So the zebras have uh, five rune level leaders, as such, the cannibal cult has five hundred, of which none are men, uh, none are children. So there <laughs> yeah. is, there's, there's only uh, two hundred and fifty men and women, roughly. And w- what the cannibal cult is is uh, actually a band of spirits uh, who possess people. And um, it's 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 um, I think the easiest way of explaining the cannibal cult is it's a zombie trope in which you've got some uh, bad spirits that go out and infest people with um, they become cannibals. They they go mad. They leave their tribe. They naturally flock together in groups and uh, they bite and eat other people, making them cannibals. And um, and and so it goes on. So and historically, their population has waxed and waned from zero, and then yeah. it, it, you can imagine a, a cannibal cult springing up in the middle of um, oh. a, a clan.
1: That, that's nice because you just gave me an idea for my campaign for a, a thing I didn't know what to do with. Yeah, it. yeah.
2: So, <laughs> so so I mean, the, the good thing about this is don't read too much into it. It's a spirit cult that can possess people. And yes. occasionally there'll be a charismatic shaman that leads the cannibal cult and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the tribes finally go, Oh, come on now, let's just um let, let's just kill them off and they fight them back. So historically, their population does this. I mean, I'm sure at some point there was like ten thousand cannibals, and um, it was all horrible. So, so you, can play,
1: you can you can play the zombie apocalypse in practice
2: Yeah, totally. Except they're not zombies. Is the thing they're actually mad humans with you know, bloodlust, and I don't think I think they're feral.
1: So we've been talking for three hours now. <laughs> we can go on forever. Okay. Should we sort of conclude it here and possibly do a second part on all the spirits?
2: Uh, yeah, if you want to do that, that's that's fine by me. There's, um, we've actually come up to really page thirty eight in the book, uh, which then is, is in the magic game where we start to get onto shaman. Yeah. Yeah, and but, if you uh, want to do one on the spirits, yeah, that's that's pretty cool because that will link directly into uh, the new cult book, and it's where it brings yeah. up Fed and Quim and the Bruise, and yeah. 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 uh, yeah. Eternal Battle cool. and spirit alliances and stuff. So yeah, if you'd like to do that, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, um, probably. I guess, I guess
1: next time I'll try to uh, stick more to the to the book <laughs> so that we don't uh, so I don't have like three hours of audio to edit. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, but you can make it a prax special.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it. Yeah, I guess it will be more prax than nomad gods, but yes, uh, well, I, I, no, I think, it
2: will
0: be the nomad gods. Yeah, yeah I guess. It,
2: it, and this is and this is actually the, the fundamental part about this is that this is why this book is quoted by Jeff as being yeah. the source material. Um, there's so much. There's so much of the basic stuff in there. Reading between the lines, that it was expanded into borderlands. It was expanded into lots and lots of stuff. It was all, you know, really spread out um, into why why the cults of Prax came into being. It, it did allow RuneQuest to really expand into an area, which bizarrely wasn't reflected in what Greg's campaign was doing. Yeah. So historically, yeah. although the Cults of Prax informed um, many, the, well, basically all of the box sets and stuff mm-hmm. that came out. So we had um, uh, Cults of Prax was the second book. Uh, Cults of Terror had some stuff from Nomad yeah. Gods. Pavis, yeah. Um, The Big Rubble, Borderlands were all spin-offs. But meanwhile, in the background, Greg was running a SATA campaign. Yeah, and this led to this um, very strange dichotomy of everybody wanting to be Sartorites and Orlanthi, but none of them being in Prax. I was saying, you know, where's the Orlanthi material? And of course, yeah, it didn't. and
0: funnily enough, the entire Prax game was the River of Cradles game, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. We had there the of-
0: not a single, uh, not a single supplement, or hasn't been a single supplement which really was among the, the
2: tribes. Yeah, yeah, and Borderlands did, did have the people of the people it, it of the valley the encounters, but that's yeah, yeah. as far as it went. And that's also a kind of really important takeaway from some of this um, that that I got from. You know, it's kind of ending with this: is um, what is as as Nomad Gods is not part of the Hero Wars board game that is Dragon Pass. We then have to ask ourselves, what is the Praxians' role in the hero wars? Uh-huh. And the answer is really straightforward. They are the cannon fodder. The, the Praxians are only, their only real use in the hero wars is to provide rotating military units that go out and plunder and come back to their homeland. Yeah. And this is this is all they're about. Um, uh, except there's even when some they people, don't. Yeah, except when they don't. And so this is one of the um, uh, things that's come up with people I've spoken to is that, you know, people don't want to play Praxians because it's a bit like playing a farmer game. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's. Uh, there was this whole idea uh, in in RuneQuest that oh yeah, we're all going to start as farmers and we're going to play farms and, and then we go adventuring. And it's just like no, we're not going to no. do that. We're going to have RuneQuest. Rune Florantha does this, and what it does is it gives the adventurers weeks mm-hmm. in the year where they're not being farmers or whatever they do as their job, and they go adventuring. Yeah. And the same with the Praxians. I think
1: for Praxians, maybe people don't want to play Praxians in Prax but they would
2: probably play Praxian mercenaries who are going to plunder Peloria and or Dragon Pass. And that's that. exactly yeah. what you can do. So being a, a Praxian in Prax, there's lots of um, subplots that have no real bearing on the Hero Wars. Although,
1: Although you can play it as a simpler setting, like you could ignore the Hero Wars, and play, for example, a we are a clan of the Bison tribe, and now that after the Dragon Rise, the the Lunars are being routed, we we come back and retake possession of our grazing lands in practice Yeah, and yeah. There's probably like a, a cool, at least like short campaign yeah. to be done with that. Yeah, and yeah. There I, are of course, the
0: big games you can play, like bringing back Tada or bringing back even it, Gennard. It,
2: well, if they ever happen and um, they, um yeah I, so so one of the things that um greg had was there's a there was an there were these sub meta plots um and bringing back tarda was one of them because you do that in if you get all the grisly portions of tarda and we'll come on to that in a, another bit uh on top of his um mound tarda can reappear yeah. and the big question is that does tarda have any role in the hero wars and the answer is tarda is Gennert's fertility he is um so in 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 the in the green age um Gennert is it, it's it's the it's the god time we don't really have to have anything fixed in this but he was basically servicing the goddesses on uh, mass well, Gennert was the god. That's, that's a concept which people don't necessarily have to agree with, but that's basically what it was. And um, when he died, the fertility of Brax died with him. And when Genert died, it was the final nail in the coffin. So if we look at the, the, the metaplot of, of Genert himself, Genert was um, torn up and fed to a hyena. Genert made the hyenas to eat him and so what we end up with is that if Gennert is brought back he is not going to be Gennert he's going to be part hyena as well and this the, the way of looking at this is this is the big Dune um, plot where uh, not giving too much of Dune away let's uh, yeah, not, uh,
1: not spoil a 30 year old book or yeah that's or right Yeah.
2: so basically Leto um, God Emperor Leto uh, turns into a worm and then uh, kills himself and his intelligence goes into the sand uh the the, the sandfish and they disappear and this is what ginnert has done he's basically uh, been torn to shreds uh and has been eaten by the hyenas and of course anybody who uh brings him back together um is not going to be going well i think we need to separate the hyena from this <laughs> and so 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 there's a good chance whatever is brought back whatever it is is something completely different, be it monster, be it god, whatever. That's that's kind of fun. I mean, that's why uh, Pet Cemetery is a great movie. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, <laughs> bringing that, that's, back something that's different is fun. So, so, but it's it's so if Tyler comes back and brings back the fertility, which could happen, and Pat, Prax starts to green again, the Praxians will be destroyed. Yeah, just yeah. like the Fremenar in Dune, because as soon as as soon as uh, Arrakis is green, you don't need still suits and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, it, it's not the fractions
1: who would want that, or it would be a massive case of, of hubris where they want
2: it, but then they realized yeah. it. Yeah. And so you have to look at who is going to do it. And the person who's going to do it, are the Isseri's merchants, right? Yeah, because- the desert trackers will do it to fulfill yes. part of their goal. Yeah. So, so the, the the Praxians are quite conservative in that respect. So, bringing Tarda back to fight in the Hero Wars and get the fertility back may be something. But
1: mm-hmm. if there is merchant, they might get something out of you know a, a whole rejuvenated region, region where yes. you know there's going to be a whole bunch of new trade and new plants. But you've build.
2: also you know, got yeah. to move Stormball.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. That's.
2: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's You've also kind of got the big problem. You've got the devil under the block. So you have to let the devil out and move him somewhere where, where nobody wants him. Yeah,
0: Robin's <laughs> blocking so, so the-
2: there's, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's kind of a lot of. Um, I, I'm not against uh, an epic game. Yeah. But yeah. this to me is actually a, um, a board game. This is Sandy Peterson's God's War. Yeah. Um, uh, in in <laughs> Prax, it's the end of the Hero Wars. You, you know where all the pieces are. You've got the block on the board, which of course is a giant brick, and uh, you take the you take the lid off the brick and the devils inside it. You, you, you've got to talk
1: to Sandy about this. Yes,
2: yeah, but you, you can see how <laughs> epic this would be as a yeah. board yeah. game. Yes, yeah. yeah. um, but uh, involving the players in uh, this kind of stuff is quite difficult because right. yeah. it, 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 they, they can be part of it going on in the background, but as soon as you start to move Tada onto the board and you move the block, the devil, onto the board, um, everyone just goes, oh, okay, so... It becomes Call of Ksulu. Yeah, Yeah, well, and in the actual wars, you know, like whole armies were turned to honey. Mm-hmm. There's, there's lots of the mythology, which is, you know, the copper sands and all of that kind of stuff. There is, there are Praxian adventures, but there's much more being Praxians going off to the hero wars yeah. to fight... Yeah in Dragon Pass rather than actually the hero wars in Dragon Pass. Um, The hero wars in Dragon Pass are the old problems of chaos. So the Praxians, while very interesting, uh, I totally accept they're very interesting on one side as a niche area. On the other side, um, they're also quite conservative and boring from a a bigger picture. Well, um,
1: thank you so much for your time, David. You're very welcome. And I guess, yeah, we'll schedule a part two on Nomad Gods and Prax. Thanks for having me. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collectivegodlearners.com at or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are the god-learners, question everything to the void and beyond.